Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 18 years of profiling excellence in government IT mission programs. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders with their cybersecurity strategies and solutions. With me on today's show are Rear Admiral Bill Chase, Deputy Commander, Joint Force Headquarters, Department of Defense Information Network. Ron Pontius, Deputy to the Commanding General, U.S. Army Cyber Command. Bob Costello, Chief Information Officer at CISA. Labonte Copeland, Managing Director, Federal Solutions Architect, Verizon. Philippe Fernandez, Senior Director, Systems Engineering, Fortinet Federal, and Sterling Wilson's National Alliance Director at Rubric. We're talking cybersecurity, and we're going to start with Admiral Chase. Tell us about the state of the state. Well, give us 30 seconds for those that might not know what is Doton, as it's commonly referred to, and then give us a state of the state about uh, what's happening across that program these days. Sure. Uh, Joint Force Headquarters Doden is a component underneath the U.S. Cyber Command. Our primary mission areas are to secure, operate, and defend DOD networks globally. And as we look at cybersecurity within that and the secure and operate portion of this, um, our first priority is to enable missions across all of DOD. First and foremost, the cyber one, over which much of the department's command and control runs, as well as that of all the other mission partners that we have throughout the Department of Defense. So as we say cybersecurity, we're looking primarily to tame complexity and scale across the entire department, making sure we understand not compliance rather, but risk and something we have to manage every day because it's sad to say that DOD networks are not perfect on a daily basis, but it's something we can always aspire to make better and therefore assure missions add resiliency um, to our spaces and make sure that we can help others bring their mission to fruition. So as we look across that, we're trying to look at the department's risk from a defense and depth perspective. First and foremost among those is what are the internet facing pieces? So uh, in order to do that, we use a tool called Expanse under Palo Alto right now to do internet operations where we can see what adversaries might see. And we, we look at this daily to make sure that we are continuing to sharpen our own sword, uh, making sure that we reduce the risk to the least possible level on that first and foremost, and then we work back inwards uh, based on the priority of mission. So throughout today, I'll talk about that sort of risk profile. And by that, I mean, we look at the vulnerabilities times the threats times likelihood of this, and then the impact of the mission that they might affect. Yeah, I think we've all learned that uh, a lot of managing this cyber situation is managing risk and calculating risk. Uh, Ron, uh, I see U.S. Cyber Command in the title there. Maybe a little bit of a, an explanation as to how U.S. Cyber Command fits in, maybe the relationship to Doden, and then give us a state of the state about uh, what's happening in your ecosystem. Good to see you, Ron. Yeah, so, yeah. good morning, Luke. Uh, so U.S. Army Cyber Command is an Army uh, three-star level command in the Army. And we're also an Army service component to United States Cyber Command, like Admiral Chase talked about. Mm -hmm. So we're the, we're the Army service component. So we really have uh, both the Secretary of the Army, Chief of Staff of the Army for supporting the Army. And then as part of the overall Department of Defense, because uh, as Bill talked about, the Doden is inherently joint. So we take guidance and direction from US Cyber Command uh, to operate and defend the Army's networks and data and systems as part of that overall joint Doden that is the DOD. 
So Army Cyber Command, uh, we're a worldwide command, about 16,000 soldiers and civilians, as we, as I said, operate and defend the Army's networks, data, and, and systems. Additionally, we have uh, our part of the Cyber Mission Force, which uh, uh, conduct cyberspace operations against our adversaries uh, and deny them uh, as they try to uh, attack our own weapon systems and our data. Uh, a big environment, the Army being such a large uh, element of the services, I don't think people can appreciate how large it is compared to some of the other services, with all due respect to all of them. Bob, um, you've been on a tear over there at CISA. I wanted to ask you to explain 15 seconds your role as the CIO at CISA versus the larger CISA sort of um, uh, responsibilities. And then tell us a uh, state of state. What have you been up to over there? Uh, yeah, sure thing. So so my role is mostly to concentrate internally to enable the mission operators to, to do their mission. So the national mission of the cybersecurity directorate, I provide uh, a lot of the internal support and systems for them to, to operate successfully as they build their tools and, and protect uh, the federal civilian executive branch and, and our role here at CISA. Uh, and we provide a lot of support to the infrastructure security division, national uh, risk management center and, and others. So we do a lot of that internal uh, CIO kind of functions. Mm -hmm. And then also uh, obviously very responsible to make sure that CISA is following its own guidance and, and you know protecting our our systems uh, internally and externally as well. So we kind of share that mission uh, with, with the cybersecurity directorate. Uh, you, you know, over here, I've been here a little over a year now, maybe a year and four months or, or so. So still a relatively new agency. So we're going through some of those uh, formative steps that maybe other parts of DHS finished around the year 2008 or so when you and I were, were over at ICE when we were about five years old. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, right now we're doing some systems consolidation, seeing duplicative systems, uh, consolidating some internal functions under the, the CIO to make sure that we're uh, operating effectively. Uh, and then we are, are building uh, some of the, um, what I would call like kind of the base technology stacks that people can operate in. So we're, we're starting to really expand our transport network, really expand some of our operating uh, environments for people to deploy code in. And then I'm building up a lot of my, uh, you know, DevSecOps staff and, and others to kind of provide increased services as CISA continues to build uh, and operate as, as a component of DHS rather than an element of, of, of headquarters. So, you know, we're building out a lot of those systems that the other components have maybe uh, addressed over the last uh, 15 years, everything from, you know, you know, human capital to to just, you know, basic, uh, you know, basic, uh, you know, staff level functions, you, you know, correspondence systems and things like that. Yeah, basic uh, blocking and tackling to run exactly. an operating component. And uh, while you're doing that, an incredible amount of responsibility and funding being, uh, uh, in a way to grow that organization. Absolutely. All right, uh, Lamont, uh, Verizon, you all are all over this ecosystem in the private sector, in the public sector. Uh, 5G, well known out there now. It's uh, it's uh, it's a basically a staple. A lot of other technologies out there, but how do you secure it all? Tell us about the state of the state and where you stand as far as ensuring that we have a bolstered environment. Yeah, thanks, Luke, and uh, great to talk with you guys all again. Um, yeah, my role here is to really uh, provide 5G and, and edge computing services to the government to help push this technology, this fourth industrial revolution, to ensure that 
each one of the government agencies can be able to realize all these technology advances that are coming into, into play to be able to support the mission that they all have today. But as a, as a responsible partner to all the, the federal government, we have to make sure that all these things are secure and they're insure, and ensuring that they're, um, you know, the technology, the software, all the hardware, all these devices are are providing providing all the services that they need, but in a secure manner. So what we're doing and looking at is, you know, we're building inherent security inside of the network to ensure that the technology itself, the communications pass, all those things that are delivering out the, the connectivity pieces to each one of those devices and the end users is protected. But on top of that, we're also layering on different uh, zero trust architectures, other technologies to be able to support the security aspect. And then also looking at things from our supply chain, making sure that the, um, the supply chain is secure, that we have the right partners in place, that we're again, getting the right chipsets, the right software to be, be able to, to deliver out these services. And then we're also making sure that we have all the right um, operational procedures and processes and, and um, ensuring that uh, you know, the, you know, we're delivering secure, reliable services out to each one of the end users. Because as you all know, the people here and the data are the um, the critical infrastructure, the things that we need to protect. Um, as long as we're making sure that that data is protected and these endpoints that they're they're out they're delivering that data to, we'll be sure that you know we're you know, providing the right services to our federal our federal partners. Absolutely, and we certainly do appreciate that, Felipe. How about at Fortinet, uh, a instrumental part of the ecosystem here? Give us the state of the state as to uh, what's happening in regards to securing our environment. Yeah, good to talk with you, Luke. Thanks for the uh, time. Uh, as, as agencies continue to balance their efforts in infrastructure modernization, cloud adoption, uh, operational resilience, we're focusing on helping them implement greater visibility, um, automated security capabilities, such as vulnerability scanning and incident response across all the enclaves in their AOR. As we know, digital transformation continues uh, to boost uh, agency mission success, but it also comes along with some challenges. And at Fortinet, we're making sure agencies are aware of cybersecurity solutions that we have that may be of assistance in potentially mitigating those risks brought on by new technologies, new third-party providers, and definitely from the threat actors that are looking to exploit any gaps in their security. Uh, a critical element of the, the ecosystem and ensuring that that, uh, that snaps in and again, bolsters this environment. Sterling. Uh, rubric, a, uh, a well, not a newcomer to the ecosystem, that's for sure. Uh, very instrumental in both the private and public sector, but a newcomer to the show. So why don't you give us 30 seconds on how does rubric fit into this and then give us the state of the state. Inter yeah, but yeah, the interesting times for sure. And and, uh, and thank you for having me here today. You know, what we're seeing not only here at Rubric, but in the industry in particular, um, are some new trends. Data itself is being used in new ways. Um, you mentioned even earlier that, uh, that, that Rubric isn't a newcomer, but perhaps a little bit of a newcomer to this space. And that's really because the industry itself has shifted. You know, data is not in the same places. They're not in the same places as they used to be. Um, data is that new crown jewel. We used to, you know, in the past when we had these trusted architectures, data was really just um, an endpoint. It was something that we used into the applications, and it really didn't matter much outside of those applications. But what we're seeing today is data is the new crown jewel itself. Um, metadata, the data about the data, is almost even more important as we use that data to solve things, traffic patterns, soldiers in theater, um, hospitals, uh, cures for diseases. So because of this, it has become literally the crown jewel that we use. 
this whole new market has also opened up another trend that we're seeing. Uh, it's also opened up a whole new market for nation state uh, actors, as well as uh, ransomware threat gangs. So the fact that we used to apply zero trust to the what we call the periphery, uh, you know, your firewalls, your CASBs, your IDPs, we're now seeing a zero trust or a need to apply those facets of zero trust directly to the data itself. And this is a little bit new simply because we have a new market. Uh, we have, you know, ransomware uh, as a service. Uh, we have, uh, you know, double extortions, all of these new ways to try to steal, exfiltrate, and in some ways sell our data. So obviously this has offered up new ways that we use our data, uh, new ways that we're actually um, implementing security around the data itself. And of course, it also opens up some really new alliances between some companies and where we have to work and make sure that we provide the comprehensive solutions that we need today. Uh, uh, good catch on those alliances. I think that's really key and an important element here. Uh, no one single solution uh, can handle it all. Let's go to a specific example, Ron. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to you. Uh, you mentioned uh, obviously your global massive element, the service of uh, the Army, eighteen thousand men and women in your uh, in your environment alone. I can't imagine the the hundreds of thousands of threat vectors. Uh, that you're trying to deal with on a uh, on a uh, a massive scale, everything must be industrial strength. Give us an example of one thing that you'd like to highlight that you're pushing the agenda forward. Yeah, uh, Luke. So when you, I I appreciate you you uh, appreciate the scope and scale of the Army. Almost 1.4 million users worldwide, and so when you when you look at that, uh, the attack surface is quite large as as we do things. So the Army um, is absolutely, the Army has uh, Secretary Christine Wormuth uh, published uh, the Army Digital Transformation Strategy. And that is, that is really focused on, it's got, I'm gonna hit some higher and then dive down to answer your specific question. Sure. It's got three overall objectives. One is modernization, which envisions a digitally enabled data-driven Army propelled by digital transformation. The second is reform, uh, which is really about making sure that every dollar, every resource, the people in the Army is the best value and that the Army is very good stewards of the resources. And then number three is people and partnerships, because as mentioned by a couple other panelists, it's absolutely about the talent and the competition for talent. But when I come back to that modernization piece, um, if I think about some of the key lines of effort, accelerate cloud native adoption by unifying the Army's enterprise and tactical clouds. Leverage data as a strategic asset to achieve interoperability and get to decision making, and then elevate the Army's cybersecurity posture uh, and really embracing those zero trust principles that are in line with the DOD zero trust architecture, which is really the overarching thing the Department of Defense is doing. And, and Admiral Chase uh, made a made a reference to it. But when we think about specifically in in the areas. A big, a big accomplishment over this last year uh, was the Army adoption of Microsoft Office 365. We call mm -hmm. it Army 365, and it was born out of a, a, um, a, a pilot program called Enterprise IT as a Service that Microsoft built this environment, and they built it uh, with absolutely zero trust principles from the ground up. Mm. And, and we, we've now, over uh, in 2022, we've adopted that Army-wide, we transitioned to it, and, and it is the largest 
Office 365 uh, tenant in the Army, and it's the second one, second largest one that Microsoft has in the world. So it's wow. so it's quite ex quite extensive. I use that as an example, and it has gone extremely well. The migration to it, and and it is uh, all of the capabilities, the productivity suites, the Microsoft Teams, mm. how we really uh, enable uh, remote work and collaboration is is really outstanding what we have with army 365 ron is that completed at this point it is on the unclassified network okay and we will be in the coming next 12 to 24 months moving to the secret network uh to uh to adopt a similar capability in the secret environment right and i would imagine that it's uh over a million users and that's not just uh domestically worldwide so that has to be uh, extremely com complex rollout in doing something like that. So hats off to you for the success of that. All right, we're going to take a short break and we're going to be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. For federal cybersecurity professionals, the mission is clear. Defend U.S. government networks, data, and people. As a leading American cybersecurity company, Fortinet Federal is focused on trusted cybersecurity for government everywhere you need it. Prepare your agency for what's next with integrated solutions that scale, secure, and simplify to your IT environment. Explore innovative and advanced cybersecurity options at FortinetFederal.com. That's FortinetFederal.com. Data security is the new frontier in cybersecurity. For federal agencies, this means implementing a cloud-smart approach to data management without adding complexity. Rubrik can help your agency protect your data from cyber threats by using enhanced analytics and mitigating sensitive data exposure. Rubrik protects your data wherever it lives, across enterprise, cloud, and SaaS, so you can become unstoppable. At Rubrik, our mission is to let you focus on yours. Rubrik, R-U-B-R-I-K. Visit rubrik.com federal. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We are committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future. We build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash federal IT. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about cybersecurity strategies and solutions. We were just talking about specific examples. Felipe, I'm going to go to you and uh, give us an example of where Fortinet has been able to maybe roll out a capability there that uh, you'd like to enlighten our audience with. Yeah, certainly. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, for the past couple of years, we've had a tremendous amount of success helping agencies deploy secure SD-WAN uh, throughout their enclaves, both on unclassified and classified networks, both in the federal civilian space, the DOD space, intelligence community. Um, and that's been fantastic and, and really great and successful. It's helped them out with, you know, meeting some executive order principles, greater cloud mm -hmm. adoption uh, and cloud on-ramp. Um, and what we've done now is we're helping a couple agencies uh, increase their visibility into those environments, right? So we kind of mentioned that just a second ago, 
Uh, but there are some agencies right now deploying our capabilities uh, to get visibility, visibility every instance, every resource, every piece of data that they have in the cloud. Uh, and in, in not just public cloud, but private cloud. Um, we have uh, agencies looking to leverage this and really unique use cases. Use cases, And um, we're looking forward to, you know, some of the enlightenment that that's going to bring us even, uh, because, you know, the facts are the federal government does at some times uh, use these technologies uh, and data in ways that, you know, industry did not think of, right? The, the missions are different. And so what we're finding out uh, really is that our products really bring to bear a lot more than what we thought, um, which has been fantastic. Um, <clears throat> along with that greater visibility into these um, assets that they have in these various environments, uh, we've been able to introduce some automation capabilities to detect those threats uh, to those instances, to those resources, and also help them implement um, incident response capabilities along the lines of what CIS's guidance has been, you know, had put out just a, a year and a half ago as far as an incident response playbook, help them with reporting. Um, and, and that's just been fantastic. Unfortunately, I can't name names, not proper to do so. Uh, but, you know, we're very excited about the success we're seeing in those initiatives, and we're looking to duplicate that across the government. Totally appreciate and respect that, and we can uh, use our imagination there. And yes, uh, at scale, Ron talks about second largest instance in, in the world, and no no question there are in hundreds of diverse environments out there. Very impressive. So if it's going to break, it's certainly going to break in, inside the federal government. There's no question about that as far as the use cases. Uh, Admiral Chase, I'm going to roll it up to you. Uh, again, Ron just sort of top line the, the massive capability and industrial scale that he's working at. So are you. And there's no question about that, Doden being all over the, uh, the globe. Why don't you give us a, an example, highlight a, a specific program that you'd like to touch on? Sure. Uh, I alluded to the risk part, but one of the key roles that JFHQ Doden plays is that of triaging cyber maintenance. And I use that term deliberately. It can sometimes be called cyber hygiene, but I think that that gets to a different culture problem, which I'll get back to later in the program, I hope. Mm. But this triaging of cyber maintenance is, is our approach to risk, right? So as we looked at the threat um, and we looked at the vulnerability, the, the power of partnerships here is, is absolutely key. You know, given the scale and complexity we're talking about, understanding the threat vector to start with, so we get a significant amount of help there from Cyber Command, NSA, the broader IC, and increasingly the commercial space, because if we can get that down to the lowest unclassified level, on, on one hand, we may need nation level uh, attribution or specifics that we might get from the IC, but at, at the, um, in the field, what our cyber operators, secure and defend folks actually need is just tell me what the next step is and how do I break that chain that will stop bad things from happening to my unit. So commercial offer, commercial and threat intelligence offers us a way to get that down without the more highly classified pieces. So that what we've spent a lot of time doing to get after some of the risk is playbooks to break the vulnerability chain based on specific threats that we're getting from all the partners across the intelligence community, as well as commercial. Partnerships have been significant in terms of what's the likelihood of these happening, understanding that that diverse and complex mission space that we have and our, even our national partners might have, the partnerships that we have with services like we're talking about with the Army, understanding where they're coming from, what, what is uh, their biggest concern. And then as we get toward the mission owners, typically our combatant commands and national partners, that gets especially important to make sure we understand what the impact of certain things are and it helps prioritize our triage. So this approach across the board and partner engagement enables speed, 
um, and exponentially uh, decreases risk and helps reduce all the response time that might be necessary for an actual um, no, incident. No question about that, Lamont. The Admiral speaks about partnership, talks about commercial environments. You all have a massive commercial environment to sort of leverage a lot of those lessons learned into the, the federal uh, environment and vice versa, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, give us a uh, an example of a program that you'd like to highlight uh, where perhaps you're implementing this type of concept. Yeah, there, there's a couple, but uh, um, something I'll, I'll touch on is like, because we, we focus a lot on both two things, the architectures, how do we build these architectures out and, and what do we put in place to be able to support that so that you can understand, you know, what what is your your surface of, of what you're protecting? What, you know, what is the, what are the things that you're trying to build into there? What are the, what are all the assets and things that need to be a part of this ecosystem so that you can do, um, you know, to support the mission on a day-to-day -day basis? And what we, you know, one of the things that we'll go and look at, so one of the things that we'll go and look at with uh, um, some of our partners uh, when we're working with the, the federal government is, you know, what are the technologies that need to be put into place to be able to secure that network? What are the technologies that need to be um, uh, secure the data? What are the technologies that need to be secure those end devices and all the edge computing things? So what we'll go in and, and partner on is like we're working on right now with uh, trying to move out the edge compute in the, in the 5G and making sure that we're um, getting the, the um, uh, data and the inf information out to the edge, us edge users is Okay, what are some of the things like uh, SASE? What are the things that we can do with um, secure access um, service edge? Um, and to make sure that we're um, in, you know, securing that the edge compute. What are some of the things that we're gonna put into place for that zero trust architecture to be able to then say, okay, we're looking at not just stuff to protect at the the perimeter and what's happening at the, just at the, uh, the headquarters area, but how does it then protect things at the border? How does it then protect things um, when I'm out in the field for first responders, how do I then protect things when I'm, I'm working at a um, on a flight line in those facilities, and and looking at all that connectivity and transforming those networks and ensuring that you know we have the right technology in place to be able to do that, and then we're also looking at the similar like uh, what um, Admiral Chase was saying before about the uh, the partnerships and understanding the the processes and procedures. Um, one of the things that we're also proud of is is working with uh, you know agencies such as CISA. We have uh, uh, partners that are on on board with the uh, the cyber uh, cybersecurity safety review board um, that we're working on and looking at all the processes and procedures, looking at what these threat vectors are. What are the things that um, industry can bring in to be able to talk about and help um, agencies and industry itself um, understand what the vectors are. What are some of the protection measures? What are some of the things you should look out for when you're trying to protect? All the different aspects of your your environment, um, as you know, that you've seen, and we've done this in our, our data breach, uh, data breach um, investigation report. Um, system intrusions are one of the largest things that are happening these days. Um, it's, it's where you go in. You have a lot of things happen coming in with hacking, malware, ransomware, which allow the threat actors to come do what the different things with stealing credentials, stealing information, putting in different things, which will then you know, put our, our nation in a, in, a, in a precarious position to be able to um, protect each one of our citizens, each one of our um, our soldiers and all of our agencies. So um, what we're doing is when these partnerships, we're looking at and providing information about what we see from a, a security aspect, what we're seeing from an infrastructure aspect, we're taking that information that we're working with our partners um, and the federal government, marrying that together and figuring out what are the right policies, procedures, and things that need to be put into place so that we can work lockstep to be able to then protect all of our assets and and um, um, and data that we have, and we and we certainly do appreciate the uh, the partnership there. 
Uh, Bob, you talked about being over at uh, CISA now for about a year and change. And no question that you've uh, been spending a lot of time with the blocking and the tackling. And no doubt you've discovered a lot of things over there as far as securing your environment, et cetera. Um, why don't you give us an example of sort of where you stand right now, maybe a specific effort that you have underway in regards to, uh, you know, strengthening and bolstering your environment? Yeah, uh, there's a couple good examples. I, I think the first, uh, you know, the, the Cyber Safety Review Board, as, as mentioned previously, is doing some really good work. Uh, we also have the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative uh, that's been an information sharing uh, platform here at CISA that's been very successful with our industry partners uh, and is kind of expanding right now over one of our collaboration tools to, uh, you know, federal uh, security operations center. So I, I think th those are you know, some examples that CIS is really proud of that that's externally facing and also, you know, our increasing services that are being more rapidly deployed uh, to support, uh, you, you know, government, the, the protective DNS service has gone, you know, extremely well as we migrate, um, you, you know, uh, agencies off uh, some of our legacy platforms, I think internally here uh, in my office, what we're excited about is, you know, we're a relatively small agency, mm -hmm. uh, you know, under mighty. It's small but mighty uh, from from a, a personnel perspective, but that gives me a lot of agility to maybe do things that some of these other agencies uh, can't necessarily consume. We can be kind of a test bed. So as we're building out one of our new environments, we're not going to be using Active Directory. We're going to be using the Azure AD functions fully. Uh, you know, we're really able to do different things with identity here. Uh, we're really able to kind of take advantage of being a little bit more bleeding edge as we're building out our systems. Uh, because it's not like when I was at CBP and I had 75,000 users, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's much smaller. Or a million like Ron does. Or, or a million like Ron does, right, or, right. or where I had some applications where we're supporting hundreds of thousands of users, or, you know, uh, the ACE program, which basically supports users across government uh, in industry as well, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have very critical systems here of the same criticality, uh, but we're able to, uh, what I'm really excited about is, uh, I'm working with, you know, this is a, a cyber agency and infrastructure uh, security agency. Uh, we can never forget those missions and emergency communications, mm -hmm. but it's a technical workforce. So I really need to, you know, my office really needs to be on the bleeding edge or people just won't want to work here. You know, that's one of the most important things to me is I have to make remote work really effective. I have to make, you know, the devices you get something that cyber operators want to work with. Because uh, there, there's nothing worse than trying to do your job and you have horrible IT or that, you know, the CI, the, you know, I will not be successful in my job if my answer to everything is I have a policy mm -hmm. or, you, you know, I, I think what, one of the things I always went back to um, in, in my prior role supporting law enforcement was, you know, our enemies don't play by the same ethical rules we do. Uh, you, you know, the cartels don't sit around, you know, well, let's develop some policies and procedures before we utilize new technology. So while I need all of those things, First and foremost, I'm bringing an operator-centric mindset, operator mindset to, to my office. We need to live and breathe the mission so that we become a trusted partner uh, and that they want to come to us rather than, you know, either building their own solutions or, or going rogue or, or some of the other things that can happen. So those are the things that I'm really driving here is we have to be the go-to group. Uh, for technology so that our operators have the tools to do their jobs and not worry about some of those baseline things like working laptops, good mobility, all those other things. You know, I really want them to concentrate on developing those great cyber tools uh, and providing infrastructure security services or emergency comm services 
rather than worried about all those other things they used to have to worry about in, in the older days of NPPD or, or early CISA. Laser focused on, uh, let's call it customer experience, right? I mean, that's really- Customer what experience, what operator you're experience. You know, mission, your operators are your customers, right? So 100%. I totally get that. So I really do appreciate that. Just out of curiosity, uh, size of CISA generally? Uh, so uh, maybe about, uh, I think, you know, we'll finish out this year, maybe around 3,000 feds, maybe right, a little right, more. Right, right, right. But, uh, right. you know, I, think people, about I don't know if people thousand. would realize that. They might think 30,000, they might think, you know, 100,000, oh. but it's, as you as you described, small but mighty, for sure. Very mighty. Absolutely, and very important. Sterling, uh, how about, uh, give us an example of where you'd like to highlight a program in respect to what you all are doing over there at Rupert. Indeed, indeed. And let me just say, Bob, what, what a great response. You know, it's it's really interesting to 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 to, to hear about the balance that, that you're having to deal with uh, you know, within your agency. I think we're seeing that industry-wide. You know, I mean, there's the there's an interesting inflection point where we have all of these awesome solutions that are keeping us safe, but we still have to balance that with the human interaction. Our customers are the people that need to get to their data. So I just thought that was a that was a great response. Uh for, from our perspective, um, in this arena, success means having a plan. It means having a plan. Look, we, we we know we have to have all the standard security solutions that we've always had. Um, you can't run a good infrastructure without a solid firewall, without you know IDPs, without some of those things we've already talked about. We also know that um, bad guys are, are also getting in, and some of these are some of the human factors uh, that that we've talked about as well. Um, and we can talk about that in a little bit, but. Literally, success now means knowing where your data is. It means having that plan. And we're proud to have helped, helped our DOD family apply these zero trust principles directly to their data. Um, the idea is to classify the data so that you know where your data is during an attack. Um, you know, many a times what we find is, is uh, these attack vectors, when these things happen, uh, these nation state actors, uh, rogue people, uh, these these bad actors are actually lying in wait in the infrastructures for months. The point is, is that if you don't have your data classified beforehand, if you don't know where your data is, what it's doing, and, and to be able to tell what that blast radius is during that event, who got what, remember, there are fines levied for each piece of PII that's released. So having that plan really is success there uh, in the beginning. Of course, uh, being able to um, allow uh, our DOD family to, uh, to, to take these, these awesome alerts and these things and justifications and forward them into best of breed solutions like Fortinet's Fortisene. Um, so doing those things and bring the, 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 the actual um, um, solutions that, that, uh, that our DOD family needs is, is really what we consider success. Um, you know, one of the one, one of the most exciting things I would say that that really we well, we've really brought to um, to the industry most recently, I would really have to say is something that we we uh, we call threat hunting. Um, if you think about what I just said, uh, the fact that certain certain facets of these these ransomware strains are in your environment for months at a time, think about what that means to your secondary set of data. You know, we had uh, uh, historically IT ops and SecOps, and they really operated sort of in a siloed fashion in the past. Mm -hmm. Well, now when we have to bring this data back, both teams must work together. And that means not only bringing back the data quickly so we can get back up and running, but that also means allowing the SecOps team to be able to run those certain types of uh uh, reports and procedures that they need to run to be able to answer questions of when did they enter? At what point can we recover? What did they touch and what do they have control of? So these are some of the things that uh, that the industry needs today. Uh, and we're here to make sure that uh, that our family has it. No question. And uh, certainly need that pre-breach and post-breach 
no, no, no doubt about that. Um, Admiral Chase, we're going to go to priorities. I know you have a lot of things on the plate. Give us your top two or three priorities for this year. Sure, thanks. The, uh, you know, I already talked about the triage part, um, and that's the part where Cybercom is the supported mission. The other part where we are supporting others is what's the question I get asked most often is, what is the cyber risk to, to my mission? And that's usually from a combatant command or mm. other element. So we have 45 different Doden areas of operation and essentially those that provision networks. And it's the, thing, the folks that you would expect, all of the services, the combatant commands actually provision small portions of, of the networks themselves, usually in and around their headquarters. And then there's all the defense agencies for absolutely critical things like moving logistics, making sure healthcare is still there, that the financial operations still go. So harnessing all of those and understanding the risk and stitching together that story is our priority for this year. Um, in order to do that, we're going to have to standardize some risk approaches in what we'll call security areas. And we need to do that in order to get after some of the speed, enhance the value that we provide to all of our mission customers, and then ultimately their mission success. The security areas that I'm talking about, we've, we've talked a little bit about internet operations or forward facing things that the adversary can see right off the bat. Um, we need to talk about and standardize risk approaches to our boundaries because we can't have you know, unlimited variants. It would be helpful to be able to speed things up and make those decisions both internally and, and with our partners uh, if we have common understanding of what those risks are. So we're gonna spend a fair amount of time understanding and normalizing um, what we mean when we say this level of risk in, in, in these security areas. The others, uh, we talked, uh, I think Ron talked uh, extensively about endpoints and Microsoft. There's a, a whole lot of data to be had there and understanding where we need to take operational standards and apply those in addition to some of the policy standards that will help understand so that we have uh, at a defense in depth that is meaningful, continuous, and doesn't have gaps. And then uh, some areas that we need some more work in, um, critical infrastructure, operational technologies in particular, that's not typically you know, a strong suit for, for our military folks. That usually requires um, a longer time in the industry and the specialized approach that we tend to see on the industrial side. So that's an area we're gonna have to lean on those partnerships I mentioned earlier to, do, to understand and, and really to feed the mission and understand where we have building blocks in place that we may not understand the risk for. And then finally, all that gets supersized when we just start talking about uh, weapon systems. And mm. those, as they are increasingly um, networked, enabled, anything with a Cat 5, Cat 6, Cat 7 jack in it um, now is, is a potential adversary inroad. And we need to make sure those things are specifically hardened. You know, Sterling mentioned in, in his comments, you know, that the, the pieces that we see, and I would say it's, it's the anomalous behavior and crashing on the security ops and the net ops side. Things don't present themselves as, hey, I'm the adversary or I'm last night's configuration error. They present themselves simply as anomalies and both teams have to crash on that. So that's a theme that we're going to continue to, to work on uh, throughout the year. Thanks for mentioning that, Sterling. A lot of, lot of moving parts there and a lot of focus on a, a variety of very important priorities. We're going to take another break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We're committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future. We build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash federal IT. For federal cybersecurity professionals, the mission is clear. Defend U.S. government networks, data, and people. 
As a leading American cybersecurity company, Fortinet Federal is focused on trusted cybersecurity for government everywhere you need it. Prepare your agency for what's next with integrated solutions that scale, secure, and simplify to your IT environment. Explore innovative and advanced cybersecurity options at FortinetFederal.com. That's FortinetFederal.com. Data security is the new frontier in cybersecurity. For federal agencies, this means implementing a cloud-smart approach to data management without adding complexity. Rubrik can help your agency protect your data from cyber threats by using enhanced analytics and mitigating sensitive data exposure. Rubrik protects your data wherever it lives, across enterprise, cloud, and SaaS, so you can become unstoppable. At Rubrik, our mission is to let you focus on yours. Rubrik, R-U-B-R-I-K. Visit rubrik.com slash federal. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about cybersecurity strategies and solutions. We're focusing on priorities. Lamont, I was going to ask you, top priority for Verizon this year. What's the focus? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, outside of, uh, you know, the main thing, as you guys are, are well aware, with uh, us making sure that we deliver 5G, the best 5G network and edge computing services, it's how do we help support the federal government with the transformation that they need to do to make sure that they have all these technology can be leveraged and used on their network, but leveraged also to in a secure manner and also doing this within speed. Because one of the things besides, you know, trying to get the technology and making sure that the you know, federal government can transform all the network services that they're looking for so they can get to these um, things like we were talking about a little bit earlier with making sure each one of the operators, each one of the folks that are in the field have the right devices and things to be able to do their job on a day-to-day -day basis. We've got to do this in a secure manner. We've got to make sure that we're providing this um, with all the you know right security place things in place. Make sure that we have all the right things done um, to ensure that the data itself is is protected. But we also got to do that with speed. Um, and there's that tr the tricky balance. And this is one of the things we're going to make sure that we're working on with our partners, um, both on the vendor side and on the uh, federal side of how do we do this with speed, but also with security in mind. Um, technology moves at a rapid pace, as you all know. I mean, we've been working through um, 5G for a few years now, and now we're starting to look, I mean, you hear things about 6G, you hear things about, um, you know, all the things that you're doing with mm -hmm. AR, VR, what we can do with the smart bases. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're trying to realize all these things at the same time. And we want to make sure that we get all this technology out to our, our, our operators and users as quickly as we possibly can. But Speed and security, uh, really uh, very important in this element. No question about that. We're going to run along right. here. Ron, so that we can get these priorities in. Ron, top couple of priorities. I know you've got a lot of stuff going on over there. Give us the top two. Yeah, uh, across the Army, uh, building on Sterling's comment, one of the top priorities is with data. As I said earlier, data is a strategic asset. So the Army is working on uh, ensuring that all its data is visible, accessible, understandable, trusted, linked, interoperable, and secure. We call that Vaultus. And, and so tremendous effort on the data. And coupled with that, of course, is the migration to cloud environments, because in many cases, the legacy applications have the data stovepipe and really is not visible and accessible. So moving to a cloud environment, uh, also uh, besides having greater visible accessibility of data, also improves your cybersecurity uh, with the right sort of environment. I, uh, another priority is uh, a unified scene, the system information and event management, as we're really having that across both the enterprise and our deployed tactical environment. So they're not 
too different and, and untouchable. And as we really move towards that, that's uh, incredibly important. Those are some, and I would tell you the last one is really working identity, credential and access management. Because underlying it all, do you have the identities? Again, a critical aspect of your zero trust architecture. And it's not just from a cybersecurity point of view, but it also supports auditability and a variety of other things with our weapon systems and our business systems. That's a, a really good catch, that identity management environment. So critical as you're, you're focusing on the data, but also who has the ability to access the data and who is it that's accessing that data? Bob, top two priorities for you at CISA. Yeah, well, the, the, the first and foremost is, is going to be, you know, our culture and recruiting and, and other issues. You, you know, there's a huge uh, gap in, uh, you, you know, IT recruiting or cyber recruiting uh, that, that we're missing. I think we even see it on this call. We're all male gendered here. Um, you know, these are things that we need to start addressing. We need to start looking a lot differently in our recruiting strategy. Uh, and we need to make sure that we are first and foremost taking care of our people uh, and, and addressing all of their various needs. You, you know, we if you're following some of the things on like chat GPT and, and elsewhere, like things are changing and evolving so much faster than when a lot of us started. I mean, I started in, you know, many, many years ago, uh, you know, building radios with my dad and getting into the Air Force and the Air Force is responsible for my entire rest of my career. You know, I, I can never thank uh, the Air Force enough for, for taking a not so great kid uh, and shaping him into something that, you know, could accomplish, you know, some good things and, and maybe one or two great things in my life. Um, so it's going to be people, people, people and, and making sure that we're uh, addressing the full life cycle, like how do you grow in your federal career? How do we take advantage of the DHS cybersecurity service? How do we maybe even look at making it easier to, you know, come and leave from the federal service, mm -hmm. uh, but while you're here, have a super, super successful career. I think my other area as, as we kind of go into, you know, we can call it like, I think, uh, you know, I, I remember working for you many years ago, you were the, the first CIO I worked for at, at DHS. You know, we kind of had like that, that first year plan, second year plan, third year plan, uh, you know, as I enter my second year here, it's really on providing more services. Uh, you know, we have to talk honestly about succession planning as well. Yeah, you know, who's going to take over uh, for you? Uh, and then I, I think, um, you know, one of my biggest priorities is to become one of the biggest consumers of CISA services. Like, I really want to be able to tell all my fellow CIOs. I'm taking advantage of the DISA, uh, sorry, CISA, <laughs> uh, fast service. And I'm mm -hmm. taking advantage of all our scanning services and all those other things. So that's where one of the areas that uh, we're really concentrating on internally in my office is being a CISA customer. Because I'm also a CIO, like all the other government CIOs that can take advantage of CISA services. And I really want to do that to augment uh, my capabilities in house as a you know, relatively small office, small but mighty, as mm -hmm. you say. Uh, so those are kind of my my areas uh, right now as we grow the office and mature it, making sure that we're ready to support CISA, uh, you, you know, not just this year, but for the next decade. You know, I think there's nothing greater than looking back when you leave a place and be like, wow, you, you know, that, that engineering group I, I built at ICE and, and left in 2012 still has some elements of what I left there. But more importantly, has continued to change and evolve and provide services. So that's right, what I really and, like and deliver rock solid services. And we really do appreciate. I know everyone appreciates your commitment to developing uh, the uh, the various employees. All right, we're gonna um, wrap it up here, and I'm gonna ask Sterling to uh, if you want to sneak in your number one priority, uh, but at the same time, really cover your state of the state and what it looks like two to three years from now, right? What does it look like over the horizon? What's the demand signal 
that rubric is getting? That's a great question. And you know, just to answer this succinctly, uh, the top priorities here, certainly to make sure that we are serving our DOD family the best awareness and education. We've touched on this several times here. The human component is the most important component today. We can have all of these solutions that are that, that have been implemented in all the right places. And all it takes is one wrong click. All it takes is one person walking in behind you. All it takes is one stolen piece of hardware, for instance. So awareness, offering exercises, rapid response teams, making sure our technical professionals have the information they have, and then understanding, helping our end users understand that that human-driven component is the most important piece of it. As far as my vision for the future, man, that's tough. Um, a lot of these solutions are really um, evolving so quickly. So I'm going to say, you know, and somebody even said chat B, uh, GPT, and I was going to say, I use chat GPT for all of my responses today, but that's, of course, not, not, not true. But uh, literally AI and ML, these tools and solutions, as they grow in maturity, are, are going to be used in different ways in all of these solutions to take some of the human error out of some of these things when looking over logs and looking for anomalies and things like that. It can never replace the human part of it, but taking away some of those, uh, some of those um, mistakes that we could make. Good laser focus, and we really appreciate it. Felipe, what's it going to look like two to three years from now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think at the core of everything is going to be implementing zero trust architecture, right? Mm -hmm. um, as far as the cybersecurity strategy and initiatives um, for which most things will be based. And the reason for that is that framework introduces uh, tangible cybersecurity measures to safeguard data users and mission essential uh, interests. Um, <clears throat> I also see a growing interest on education and training. Um, you know, it, the, the rapid change in technology or the pace of it uh, is not only impacting end users and those who consume technologies and services, it's also impacting those professionals who are, you know, uh, you know, asked to to go ahead and, and sell those and implement those and all of that. So, you know, training and an emphasis on that is going to be important. And, um, you know, that's not only going to happen to users and administrators. It, it, well, I would say it's also going to happen to administrators and policymakers. Mm -hmm. um, we have to understand with new capabilities, we have new things at our disposal, and we have to adjust our policies and maybe, you know, maybe loosen things up a bit. You know, Bob talks a lot, uh, Mr. Costello here uh, talked a lot about, you know, just really being user centric, um, you know, focusing on what they need, delivering it with the latest capabilities possible. Obviously, I'm sure he's doing that responsibly. Um, so again, you know, just shifting in that mindset. Um, coming along with that, um, the proactive measures are, are going to be a focus. Uh, I think maybe it's a little bit behavioral, um, you know, as far as the way humans respond. When we put in a new a toy, we're going to look at it more. We're going to see, you know, what happens if we turn this knob? Can we find more things? Um, particularly in cybersecurity capabilities, you implement a new tool, a new sensor. Um, you're going to look at what can it find for you? Are we going to see something we haven't seen on our network before? Mm. And you're going to tailor that to, you know, whatever your mission, you know, or desires are and whatever the, the watermarks that you want to reach. So I think that's important. And uh, lastly, you know, considering workforce and budget constraints uh, and touching on something Sterling and a lot of us have said here is that artificial intelligence and machine learning is going to be really important, right? So we talked a little bit about a couple of things. It, you, utilizing it to, you know, kind of replace or get, mitigate some of the human error, but not human judgment. Um, but we also got to remember if it's available for us to use, and we talked about chat GPT, um, then I'm sure we all saw the news story not too long ago about how chat GPT can be used to create polymorphic malware by anyone. Um, and so that means, you know, our adversaries have access to this tremendous tool 
um, you know, and with, you know, these capabilities, they can never sleep, never eat, never, you know, stop to take a break, but constantly create, you know, new, new threat vectors, new problems for us to, you know, try to thwart before, you know, they cause real problems to our interests. So no um, question and a lot to, uh, to get our head around. So I really appreciate the, uh, the top line there, Lamont, you, uh, you hinted at 6G, uh, two to three years from now, is that what we're going to be talking about 6G? <laughs> Thanks, Luke. Uh, not sure, but uh, right now we're, we're going to be mainly focused on getting that 5G stuff out there. But I mean, I, mm -hmm. I think, you know, for the future, what I'm looking at, and I think it can't reiterate a lot for what all we're saying here, but the, the partnership and discussions on how we all drive outcomes together um, and con the continued evolution of moving towards that. Um, because that's going to help us ensure that we're securing these networks, securing the data, securing all the the um, systems and mission sets that we need to be able to support for all of our end users. Um, and I see, I've seen a lot of that. I mean, there's a lot of interactions and, and work between the um, industry and the federal government to make sure that we are going at this together. Um, because you know there is that human element. We're talking about this where we know what we need to do to be able to support each other, to support the uh, the networks that need to be delivered, uh, and how do we protect these networks? How do we protect that data? Um, and then really discussing about outcomes more than just requirements, um, because when we really discuss about um, what, you know, Admiral Chase is looking for, Mr. Ponte is looking for, uh, Bob Casella is looking for, when they're saying, I'm expecting you to deliver this, um, then we're able to bring the best and brightest of intelligence um, that we have from industry to work together to be able to secure these, um, secure our space. So and no question, and outcomes. no question, do it at the speed of mission as well. Um, Bob, uh, you're going to be uh, in the role there in two years. I see you'll have a, like a three-year tenure at that point. If I'm on a new employee coming into CISA, sort of looking around, well, what can I expect? Well, what's what sort of your, your target environment that you want to have? Uh, what's it going to feel like when I show up for service? Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's just kind of leaning on that customer experience. Yeah. Had, right. I, I mean, so I have some, some other things. I mean, there's so many things that you don't expect, uh, as your career progresses, like, mm -hmm. you, you know, I left government service, uh, and I, you, you know, got a call back to interview and come back as the CIO here after I had left for about six months. Um, I, I think, you know, there's a couple of things as a new employee, you want that experience to be smooth. You know, you want them to get equipment on time. You want them to have all the resources, uh, available. I, I would really hope in, in three years, uh, you know, this office and, and parts of, uh, you know, our technology stack are, are operating at, you know, a pretty mature level you know, mm -hmm. comparison to the other components of DHS. You know, we are a component of DHS, so I'm always like measuring my success against some of the uh, the bigger components that have been there that's, for that's fair. years. Um, I, I would also say too, that I would like to be this office to be viewed, uh, even if I'm not here in, in two or three years, uh, as, you know, one of the most agile and adaptable CIO offices in government. You know, that's really what I'm aiming for is to, to model us against some of the, those great players in government but also in the industry, because if we don't adapt, like, it, well, you've worked with me for a long time, you know, I'm always kind of changing things up. But uh, if if we don't adapt, then we will fail. Like, we have to adapt as fast as the enemy. Uh, and we have to also adapt as fast as our workforce. You know, people are coming in now with, with very different needs and wants uh, than, you know, when I came in. Like, when I joined the Air Force, I didn't even have an email address. Now, if you had someone, like, join the military and not have an email, that would probably be really frustrating. Uh, to, to people. And we have the, the same things here as, as well. So I have to really adapt to, to the mission force that we have here. You know, we're, we're recruiting some of the best cyber minds, uh, you know, in the country, and I need to make sure they have a good work experience. So those are the things that I hope in two or three years 
are just commonplace here. It says it's just a well-oiled machine. Those day-to-day -day ops just, just happen. We're, uh, uh, well, you're well on your way to doing that, and we're really looking forward to seeing uh, the journey. Ron, uh, two to three years from now, what's your, uh, what's your target aspiration? What's your target environment going to look like as we fast forward here? So it really aligns with very much what Secretary Wormuth has laid out, because uh, two of her top priorities are network modernization mm -hmm. and transforming the Army to be a data-centric Army. And really, it's about you know decision making with that data. As and those those are absolutely related. And underlying the network modernization is a, a variety of uh, 45 plus initiatives that we're really capturing under our zero trust strategy as we're moving forward. And that is incredibly important. Uh, and we will make substantial progress in the next two to year, two to three years. And then, of course, as we modernize, uh, as the others have talked about, the workforce is incredibly important. Uh, the Army has laid out a, a people strategy, acquire, develop, employ, and retain, mm -hmm. and that's both for the military and civilian. And as you, as you work through that, how do we really bring along that workforce that we have in addition to what's the right, uh, you know, recruiting environment to bring in the, the young men and women uh, that are recent college graduates, uh, that bring, bring the new skill sets as we move into a software divine uh, wide area network and a variety of the technologies uh, that require, um, a, uh, that, that are inherent with the new workforce coming out of the colleges and universities. So that's where I see us being in two to three years. Uh, of course, the workforce to be a, a long-term journey, but you got to get at it every day. Absolutely. And line yourself up. It sounds like you have an, a nice, crisp roadmap to get there as well. Admiral Chase, take us home. Two to three years from now, what are you expecting your operating environment to look like? Thanks, Luke. I really appreciate this. I, this is an exciting time to be in cyber. There's a whole lot of change going on. You know, we're seeing you know, web, automated and weaponized uh, vulnerabilities coming at us faster and faster. Um, as we try and manage through all this change, our number one goal is to ensure resiliency of DOD's missions. So three things to keep in mind as we do that. You know, first is everything we're doing, is it enhancing mission readiness somewhere along the line? You know, commercially, we'd say that, is this adding to the business value in some way? Second principle um, is what we're doing empowering the technical, the tactical level in the DOD, the folks with hands-on keyboards, your sysadmins, our local defenders, because we have an opportunity to exponentially increase our speed by taking care of it at the point at which um, we can prevent other um, aspects of having to go back and do remediation. And then third, and it's been mentioned several times, as we move into zero trust, this is an opportunity for us to enable situational awareness uh, for all of our mission areas, as well as allow for those data-driven decisions. Um, and is it um, really tracking toward reducing the complexity? How do, we, how do we take steps in the meantime to translate, standardize, and normalize those things to, as I think Sterling said, to get after the machine learning and, and bring AI to bear for some of these automated problems that are already being thrown against us. But thank you for the opportunity. We really do appreciate it. And I wanna thank all of our guests today for taking the time out of their busy schedules and for your service and fighting the good fight and keeping us all safe. Uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors for supporting us on the show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make the program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience out there that are tuning in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. 
If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.